the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Wednesday show. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is the Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, pretty much anything and everything. All you have to do is call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR, numerically at 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. And remember, if you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen. Everything else is hands-free and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Hey, a quick programming note before we get into the questions. This is our last live program for the week because of the Thanksgiving holiday uh, tomorrow. And Friday uh, will be rebroadcast programs. And we are praying that you have a wonderful Thanksgiving and uh, Jesus is glorified. And uh, you don't eat too much. I'm going to try to control myself. Self control is the fruit of the Spirit. Self control is the fruit of the Spirit. That's what I got to keep remembering. Paula cooks so good that I have a hard time with self control sometimes. Well, we'd love to have your live calls while we're waiting. Let's get to some of the questions that have been sent in. Our first one is from Anonymous uh, from our email inbox. Uh, Hi, Pastor Ron. Do you believe the church and the state should be separate? We see professing Christian activists like Reverend Jesse Jackson and Al Sharpton and other community pastors standing up for black people. Is there purpose for church leaders to stand up and defend the community? When are we supposed to fight back? Thank you. Anonymous, we are never supposed to fight back. Not ever. And we never, and this is not hyperbole, we never defend ourselves because that's Jesus' job. What we're supposed to do in this time that we live in, the last hours of the last days, is we're supposed to be about Jesus' business. And I think sometimes, and I, I don't know who you are, so I don't know where you're coming from with this question, but I think sometimes, you know, we have this tendency, we want to fight back and defend, uh, when in fact Jesus says, I got this. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And I think in times like this, people are more ripe for, ready for, the gospel of Jesus Christ than perhaps at any time in my 30 years walking with the Lord. The world is angry. The world is hurting. The world is fearful. Things are an absolute disaster, a a mess, um, beyond anything we ever imagined just a few short years ago. And people see the vanity. They see just how hopeless anything that's attached to this world is. It's our job to give them hope, real hope. And frankly, Anonymous, there's no hope 
in a political candidate or an earthly kingdom. The Bible says the world is going to get worse, not better. So what our job is, is to give them sort of a life preserver. We throw them Jesus. Some will grab it. And I think more now than perhaps at any other time. The harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. That's what Jesus said. That was 2,000 years ago. How much more so today in 2021? So we're never to fight or defend. We proclaim. Is there going to be persecution? Yes, but Jesus said that we would be blessed. And the word is happy. We would be happy if we're persecuted for righteousness sake. I think too often questions like this are motivated by a desire to never have to be persecuted. We should be free to do what we want. We shouldn't be persecuted. Christians have been persecuted from the beginning of time. So church leaders, by the way, there are none. I happen to be a leader in one church, but there's no spokesman for the church. That's what the Holy Spirit is supposed to do. That's what Jesus is supposed to do. So we don't stand up and proclaim anything other than Christ crucified and risen from the dead. Now, I know that's very unsatisfying to our flesh because we want to roll up our sleeves and get in the fight. But that is contrary to everything the Bible teaches is blessed are the meek power under control for they will see God. We don't like the idea of being meek. That's what we're supposed to do. Now, something else. You called Jesse Jackson and Al Sharpton Christian activists. What is there in your in their life that makes you think they're Christians? Forget the name reverend in front of them. Anybody can be a reverend. But what's in their life that makes you think they're Christians? So, yeah, I think the church and the state should be separate. Not because our Constitution says it, but because every attempt that has ever been made to govern a non-believing world according to the Word of God has been a miserable failure and has brought all kinds of shame and embarrassment on the church. Do you believe that the church and state should be separate? Yeah. Christians ought to act like Christians. Now, we participate in our government Please, please don't misunderstand. I don't want anybody saying, well, Pastor Ron said that we shouldn't be participants. We should. We should vote. And we should make informed votes. We should vote based on our Christian worldview. Who is Jesus Christ? And what would Jesus do? But God tried to warn Israel about having a king like the other nations. They didn't listen. And the results have been horrible. Whenever we've had professing Christians in the White House, has anything gotten better? Has anything improved? No. One of the interesting things, I'm taking a little bit of time, I've got nobody waiting on hold, but one of the interesting things about the way our New Testament is written especially when it comes to the Apostle Paul, it's one of his favorite styles, is he always talks about the difference between us and them, or they and we. And we're supposed to be we, who represent Jesus Christ. He's the head of the church. He has angels at his disposal. Tonight I'm teaching uh, in uh, Daniel, the end of chapter 11 and the beginning of chapter 12. And God sends Michael to fight for his people, Israel. Now, we're going down the corridor of time and space uh, into the Great Tribulation, but, but Jesus sends Daniel, or, or Michael, rather, in Daniel chapter 12. Jesus could send angels to defend if, his, if that was his intent, but his intent is for us to be active in sharing our faith, period. So that's what we need to do. I know there are a lot of churches that are hanging their hat on earthly kingdoms. Their emphasis is political. They are almost without exception right-wing conservatives. And they're entitled to that. The problem is they actually think that having somebody in the White House who is more conservative is going to advance the cause of Christ, and it never did. It didn't happen in the four years Donald Trump was president. 
So understand, I know we want to fight back. That's the American way. But our job is to have one message on our mouths, and that is Jesus Christ crucified, risen from the dead for the remission of sins. And freedom is available to all who believe. But we've got to remember always where our kingdom really is and to whom it really belongs. Thank you, Anonymous, for the question. Here is my next one. This one is from our email inbox from John. Uh, Hi, Pastor On. What are your thoughts about celebrity pastors who have mansions, jets, mega churches, and walking around with luxurious things? Can pastors be millionaires? Is that considered blessings? And by that, John means uh, they, they will say, well, God has blessed me. Um, first of all, let me take this slowly. Celebrity pastors, there should be no such thing. Jesus is the only celebrity in church. I'm going to sound like a broken record today, I think, but Jesus is the only celebrity in the church. I think when we go to these mega churches that have pastors who have become larger than life, uh, I think they have already stepped onto holy ground and desecrated it. I want everybody that comes to Calvary Chapel of San Antonio to know that that uh, Jesus is proclaimed here. My job is to do it, and um, certainly I'm not a celebrity, and that's okay. But uh, celebrity pastors, that's that's a distinctly American thing, and it's it's terrible. Now, about those, and you're talking about prosperity churches, um, these guys with mansions and jets and mega churches, um, with luxurious luxurious thing. You know, if a pastor has a lot of money when he's called into the pastorate, there's nothing wrong with him dressing or living like he has a lot of money. But the pastor that makes a lot of money on the backs of the people of God, that's a pastor that has crossed the line into misrepresenting the Lord that he proclaims. That's really important. Now, I would love a jet, okay? I'd love a jet. I don't like to travel. I would love a jet. If anybody wants to buy me one, I'll take it. But that hasn't happened in a long time. So um, the pastor ought to live at the level, the median level of the people that he serves. As a pastor, I'm truly blessed by God. But I don't have mansions. I don't have jets. I don't walk around with luxurious things. Um, Pastors ought to live at the median range level of the people in the church. That means a pastor that lives in Manhattan or a pastor that lives in Beverly Hills or Newport Beach, California, they're going to make a lot more money than a pastor who lives in Universal City, Texas. But see, I don't need a lot of money in Universal City, Texas. So those are the things that we need to consider. When you see a pastor who has gotten wealthy Proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, that's a pastor who has um, desecrated his calling as a pastor. That's a pastor who has missed the point of being a servant uh, at all. You know, I heard one of those pastors one day saying, you know, uh, everybody talks about being a servant. I don't want to talk about being a servant. I'm a child of the king. And I'm going to live like a child of the king. Well, he forgets that Jesus was a servant. The entire gospel of Mark is dedicated to portraying Jesus as the servant of man, mankind. Jesus who was God, Jesus who was infinitely wealthy, emptied himself of all of that so that he could come down and serve people like me. And he's the example that we're to follow. So John, um, if you're listening to pastors like that, you're in an unhealthy, out-of-balance church. You're not getting the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And uh, I would, I would exhort you to leave churches like that as quickly as you possibly can. Thank you for the question, John. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from our email inbox as well, anonymously. Uh, Hi, Pastor On. Is it okay for Christians to invite unbelieving family members or professing Christian family members who are not living for the Lord for the holidays? Let me stop there now. There's more to this question, but I want to stop there. Of course you should invite 
invite unbelievers. And and especially professing Christians who are living like unbelievers, of course you should invite them for the holidays. It's an opportunity to evangelize, period. You want to share the peace of your home with them. You want them, especially the professing Christians who don't have the peace that passes understanding, you want to share with them the peace that you have in your home. You want them to to look at the relationship that you have with your wife. You want them to see the relationship you have with your kids. You want them to see that truly following Jesus is different than the life they're experiencing. And the difference of you being with Jesus and them not being with Jesus while proclaiming Jesus will be obvious for everybody. So yes, we are never to stay away from unbelievers, but it's our job to minister to unbelievers about Jesus, about who he is and what he's done. So the holidays are a wonderful time, especially if you're inviting them to your home. That's a wonderful opportunity to be nice. Now, here's the rest of the question, and I'll, I'll kind of mix in the context. Uh, this writer says, I tend to speak too much about Jesus and ultimately ruffle some feathers. My wife has warned me about tomorrow, but I respectfully told her if they're embarrassing or condemning my God, I have to speak up. My wife wants me to stay completely quiet. I must admit, I tend to go into protective mode when it comes to my God. When is it okay to speak up? When is it not okay to speak up? Thank you, Pastor Ron. A couple of things, and and, um, um, I I hope this really strikes uh, a chord for a lot of people who are going to have unbelieving family members. Many times those unbelieving family members are difficult and hostile to the faith that we share and the Jesus that we love so much. Um, you can't speak too much about Jesus. You said you tend to speak too much about him. That's impossible. Um, Jesus will be spoken. Now, uh, at my home tomorrow, we'll have, I don't know, 12 people or so. And and uh, we're, we're all going to talk about Jesus. We're probably going to watch some NFL football, too. We're certainly going to eat some turkey. All that is okay. But, but Jesus needs to be center stage. Jesus needs to be the, the, the one thing that everybody there is in complete agreement upon. But you can't talk too much about Jesus. How can you do that? We'll stand around the table before Paula starts serving the food. We'll hold hands and we'll pray. And I'll pray Jesus be the center of our hearts, our thoughts, and our conversation. People come to my house, they know what they're going to get. They're going to get Jesus. Tomorrow they're going to get some really good food that Paula makes as well. So it's impossible to speak too much. I I just completely and utterly reject that. Now, how you speak, we want to speak with kindness. We want to speak directly but with gentleness. We want to be patient with people and loving toward people. So we don't want to look for an argument And I also don't know what you mean by embarrassing or condemning my God. Now, nobody is ever going to come into my house and take God's name in vain. Not ever. I'm going to I'm going to speak up if they get flustered about it or or upset because I call them on it. Then they can go somewhere else. But. Don't let. The normal lives that unbelievers live. Don't think that's embarrassing, Jesus or even condemning him. They have condemned him by rejecting him. But Jesus is pretty tough. He's hard to embarrass. So what you do is you tell people about Jesus. He loves you. This is what he's done. The people that are coming over, obviously based on the content of your letter, uh, they know who you are. They know who Jesus is to you. That's really important. I'm a little concerned because of communication between you and your wife. Paula would never ask me to stay quiet about Jesus. Not ever. Now, she also knows that I'm not going to embarrass anybody or get in their face. I'm not looking for an argument. But for your wife to ask you to stay completely quiet. You said you have a tendency to go into protective mode. You don't need to protect Jesus. He's tough. He can handle his own fights. 
So you be full of grace. You be full of the Spirit. You have the peace and the joy that comes from being with Jesus. And and let the Holy Spirit use that to be a witness to the others. If they come to your house and argue, like everybody in the world argues about these kinds of things, well, then they're not going to see too much Jesus at all. They're going to see quite a bit about you. So those are really important things. Let your holiday table be a fun place. But... Remember, it's more fun with Jesus as the priority, at the center of everything else. So I hope that makes sense to you. Um, Just remember, nobody can speak too much about Jesus. Thank you very much for the the question. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Miguel asks... What do you do when someone says they reject God because the Bible supports murder, rape, and slavery? Miguel, I get really direct with them. I say, why don't you try reading the Bible? The Bible doesn't support any of those things. And, and generally, there's no discussion. Challenge them to read it for themselves. They don't understand anything about the context of slavery in the Bible. So I just say, you know, you don't know anything about the Bible. And to reject God and risk eternity in hell because of something somebody told you or something you read somewhere is really, really risky. So I tell people, look, when you know what you're talking about, come and talk to me. And I don't try to argue. Don't throw your pearls before swine, Jesus said. And and I think, um, you know, that's this is just so dishonest in approach that there's no conceivable way that they understand uh, anything at all about what the Bible says. That's like somebody saying, well, well, I reject the Bible because everybody knows that we evolve from lower life forms. Really, everybody knows that. I don't know that. Lots of smart people don't know that. So just choose not to get involved in those kinds of arguments. Thank you very, very much. Let's go to line one and talk with Dewey from San Antonio. Dewey, thanks for calling. You're on the air. All right, Pastor. Uh, just, Hi, Dewey. Uh, doing good, doing good. This was thought, hey, it's time to, to make a phone call at least once this year. Um, <laughs> my, <laughs> uh, my, my question is, um, I was listening to Tony Evans earlier today, and um, he was saying something about your ability to discern through your physical and spiritual eyes. And I just want to know if you elaborate on that. Uh, Dewey, did you, did you say d- discern? Discern. Uh, okay. We appreciate you to be able to, ability to discern through their physical and spiritual eyes. Yeah, I can do that, Dewey. Thank you. Um, I'm a Tony Evans fan. I, uh, I enjoy um, Pastor Tony's um, teaching uh, his style, um, when Paul and I watch him, uh, I say, you know, why can't I do that? Why can't I do that? I'm just, I can't be Tony Evans, and there are times when I would really like to be. Um, Dewey, discernment is really, really important. Um, spiritually, we've got to be able to discern. Now, this is a gift given by the Holy Spirit, but but it comes from reading the Word. It's not a gift like tongues. This is a gift that is developed by really studying the Bible. And we've got to be able to discern that which is true from that which is false. And the only way to do that is that we really make an investment in our Bibles, that we really invest on finding answers to questions. Uh, To discern with our our physical eyes, I think, is important as well. I don't know the context of Tony Evans' message, but... Um, you know, anybody can go into a prosperity church, a faith, they call themselves faith churches, and, and all you have to do is look around, and you can see that there's nothing of the Holy Spirit going on in there. I don't know why we Christians are so gullible that we'll, we'll, we'll look at something that is ridiculous. I, uh, my, my producer was showing me a, a YouTube video uh, from an apostolic church, and all you have to do is open your eyes and see that's not Jesus. So I think we've got to be able to discern. Physically, we've got to be able to look into people's lives, people who will say things like, oh, I'm a Christian, I'm going to heaven, but they're living in sin. 
they're, they're, they're living in rebellion against God. We've got to be able to see that the life that they're living doesn't line up with the life that they're proclaiming. And when we do that, do we, um, the Holy Spirit is going to help us see things clearly. And then as we study, he's going to help us discern those same things clearly. I think two of the spiritual gifts that are really misunderstood and neglected are the gifts of wisdom and the gifts of knowledge. I think every one of us ought to be praying for the gift of knowledge. We need to know what's true. We also need the gift of wisdom, and that's the application of that knowledge. And I think those are the things that we have to do. So, again, not knowing the context of Tony's remarks, I can say almost for certain that uh, that uh, Tony was teaching biblical truth, um, but um, not knowing the context of the message, I, I can't be any more specific than that. But I think that's a really good prayer. Lord, help me to see things and people through your eyes. At the same time, we can say, Lord, help me to know what's true and discern that from that which is false. Dewey, thanks for the question. I appreciate the phone call. We've got 30 minutes left and last 30 minutes live of the week. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. We will be back on the other side of the break. We'll see you in two minutes. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the program, Wednesday edition, the day before Thanksgiving. Before going back into questions, let me just um, give you something to think about. If other people were looking at your life, just on the outside, they, they don't know you, they're just sort of hanging around at work, or maybe they're following around, maybe it's your family and your kids, and they do know you, obviously. Would they describe your life as a grateful one? Could people tell that you are really thankful to God for everything that he's done? I ask those questions, I ask you to ask yourself those questions, because frankly, Far too many Christians are negative, are cynical, or ungrateful. We tie our gratitude towards circumstances and events rather than tying it to what Jesus has done for us, how he views us. What I would pray that every Christian does who's listening to this program is that they would purpose in their hearts to be really grateful people, not just tomorrow, not just because it's Thanksgiving, but that our lives would be an offering of Thanksgiving every single day, that people would see you and know that you're grateful to God. Know why there's such hope in your life. They would see that you have joy in the middle of really difficult trials and circumstances. Maybe the people would see that your focus really is on serving Jesus Christ. Not just talking about it. Not just knowing what you should do, but actually doing it. The earlier question we had about inviting unbelievers to our home for the holidays. If they came to your home, will they see a family that's been washed in gratitude by what Jesus has done. Those are the questions that we need to ask ourselves in these last days. It's really important because there's not much time left. The people that you're praying for, the people that are on your everyday pray lists, those are the people that need to see that your Jesus is real and powerful. When I got saved 30 plus years ago now, February of 1991, My life was such a mess. 
And I tried to to just ruin Paula's life. I tried to take the joy that, that is inherently hers and steal it. It really bothered me that I couldn't ruin her life. I know that sounds so perverse because it is. But I kept thinking, what do you have to be so happy about? And I tried to be such a jerk that she, she just, that I just proved that Jesus wasn't real. I could never steal that from her. And that's why when I was running away from home and literally was apprehended by Jesus, I don't mean to sound hyper-spiritual here, but literally he knocked me to the ground. I always have a picture in my mind of Jesus sort of smiling and sticking his leg out and tripping me. And when I was on the ground, I realized how far I'd fallen. I realized what a mess I'd made of life. I'm running away from home as an adult. And Jesus was right there to pick me up. And I cried out for Paul as Jesus because that's the only thing I knew about him at the time. Her Jesus was real. And in honor of Thanksgiving, and this is just a day to start. Remember, it's an everyday thing. But in honor of Thanksgiving, let's purpose in our hearts to be really and truly grateful men and women. No matter what you're going through, we can truly be grateful for what God has done for us. Here's a question from Alan. Pastor Ron, I think the apostles were hasty in naming Matthias as an apostle instead of waiting for Paul. What do you think? Uh, Alan, I don't agree with you. Um, uh, Remember, this was done uh, before the the Holy Spirit was um, poured out. Um, The apostle Paul would not come along for another maybe as many as six years. Uh, They went to the Word of God. Remember, they were Jews and they went to the Jewish scriptures and were led by those scriptures. There were two men who were considered and God chose Matthias. And I don't know why everybody thinks they were hasty. They were doing what they thought was right and they were doing it with the wrong heart. They were doing it under the direction of the Holy Spirit. They were doing the best they could with the information they had. And so I think Matthias is the apostle to replace Judas. Uh, remember, Judas was never really an apostle. He was a disciple. And uh, I would imagine if we could know the history of Matthias, and there is a little bit written about his history, um, um, how um, faithful that information is, we don't know. But I imagine that if we followed Matthias's ministry until he went to be with Jesus, Uh, I imagine we'd see a whole bunch of fruit that was produced in the process. So, no, I think the Apostle Paul has a very special place in heaven waiting for him. I think Paul is one of the two people. When John and James uh, sent their mother to say, can my sons have the seat on your right hand and on your left hand in the kingdom of heaven? I think think one of those seats belongs to the Apostle Paul. Jesus said, those aren't mine to give away. Those seats have already been granted by my Father. I think Paul is one of those who has that seat. So, uh, Alan, no, I don't think they were hasty. I know there are people that that uh, uh, take that position. Uh, but I, I, I think sometimes we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to be right instead of remembering what I say all the time on this program and to my church. If your heart is right, you don't have to be right. God will direct your steps. Here is an anonymous question. My unbelieving husband does not want me to go to church and is getting angry about it. Should I submit to him? No, no, no. The Bible says submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Period. Would Jesus ever ask you not to go to church? So here's what you do, anonymous. You demonstrate just how important your relationship with Jesus Christ is by saying, you know what, I'm going to submit to you in, 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 in things that don't conflict with the Word of God. But Jesus would never ask me not to go to church. In fact, I need to go. It's I need it for me, but I also need to serve others. And so um, I'm not going, to, not going to submit to that request. However, if you ask me something that 
isn't in conflict with the Word of God, then, then I'd be happy to do it. I'd be happy to do it. You can also turn this question around and say, well, I've asked you to go to church with me and you won't do that. I'm not getting angrier about that. Why won't you do that when you're asking me to do something for you? And just get him to think about it. But don't get angry. Don't lose your your temper. Uh, don't become impatient or frustrated. Just say, you know what? As much as I love you, husband, I love Jesus more. And he says we're not to neglect the assembling together of the saints. So I'm going to go to church. And then just give him a kiss on the cheek and walk away. Hope that makes sense. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Bruce asks a question. Um, tough question, Bruce. Bruce says, "Does God owe us better results in our lives than most of His experience?" Bruce, I said this is a tough question because when your heart gets to a place like yours has become, you're treating God like a genie in a bottle. Um. How could God possibly owe us anything when the reality is we owe him everything? So if you were talking to Jesus in the flesh right now, face to face, what would you say? Jesus, well, you owe this to me. You owe me more money or you owe me better health or you owe me kids that won't break my heart or you owe me the How would you ever explain that to him? He would show you those nail-scarred hands. In heaven, Jesus is the only handicapped person. He'd show you a face that had been beaten brutally, grotesquely, but grotesquely beautiful. I know that sounds conflicting, but it's not. And he would say, what more could I show you? What, what more could I do for you than this? What results do you think God owes you and on what basis do you think God owes you those better results? I had somebody ask a similar question one time, uh, just face-to-face, not in the program. And I asked him, I said, um, um, well, why does God owe you anything? And his response was, well, well he created us. Um, he didn't. He created mankind. But he didn't create me. My mom and dad created me through the process that God gave to this world as a gift. But... God owes you only the opportunity to know him. And he makes that possible. He he did it at extreme cost to him. He sent his only son. And still, Bruce, we reject him. Still, we make our own choices. And I would ask you, Bruce, to sort of prayerfully examine if you are a Christian, I mean a real believer, I would ask you to prayerfully examine what you're already doing with what you know God wants you to do and ask the question, maybe the bad results that you're getting in your life a result of your rebellion against God instead of being obedient. You're being disobedient willfully. Bruce, we need to remember that we are servants and we can't treat God like he's the servant. And that's what your question implies. So, God owes us nothing. He has already given everything. He started with the best gift of all. And I think if you live a life submitted and committed to Jesus Christ, you're going to find that your life is richer than you ever imagined. It may not be material wealth. Um, It may not be a life that is um, absent any... um, difficulties or problems. Um, But it's a life that's rich and full. I can promise you that. I'm living it. I call it under the spout where the glory comes out. Uh, I think sometimes, Bruce, that if my life was any richer, I couldn't handle it. So does he owe you anything? The answer is no. Do you owe him anything? The answer is you owe him everything. Thank you for the question, Bruce. Let's go to Jimmy on line one. Jimmy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Well, happy Thanksgiving to you, Ms. Paula. Thank, thank you, Jimmy. You too. Hey, um, I learned this new scripture today, 2 Timothy 3.16-17. through 17. 
it's amazing. <laughs> what the? I mean, I mean, I don't know everything in the Bible. I, I'm trying to learn, and I'm trying to learn as much as I can. I'm just, you know, um, I'm just trying to learn. I, I have this desire to learn more. But, um, I said all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for training and for reproof for correction for training in righteousness that a man of God may be complete equipped for every good works I mean that's good I mean I mean because some people get offended <laughs> I mean, I know, I used to get offended right a long time ago when I first got saved, but some people get offended when, because I, I presented the Ten Commandments to somebody yesterday and they got offended. You're judging me. I said, no, I'm just showing you what the Ten Commandments mean. I'm not judging you. So, actually, yeah, but, actually, actually, Jimmy, the Ten Commandments are, are judging him. Um, and and that's the whole purpose of the Ten Commandments. Here's God's standard, and the Ten Commandments demonstrate that we can't keep that standard, and we need help. And the passage of Scripture that you stumbled on yesterday, um, I, I love the the language. It's useful. The, the words all, and thoroughly, and every. Um, the Word of God. I say all the time on this program has the answer to every problem you're ever going to have. Um, God, when it says God breathed, it's literally the breath of God pushing the pins of men, and and the scriptures are all we need. Uh, if somebody wants to know what do I do? We can teach them using the Word. We can correct them or rebuke them. The NIV says um, um, we can correcting them and train them in how to be men and women of God, and the purposes that God wants us to be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And when you say this offends some people, um, it offends people because this is like a mirror. The Word of God is like a mirror. You look in the mirror and you see all of the flaws, and we don't like looking at flaws. And uh, I think this is a scripture, Jimmy, for you to hold on to. Uh, You've been excited about the Word of God over the last, I don't know, six months to a year. And and uh, to hear what God is doing, to hear you get excited about Scripture like this, uh, just demonstrates just what God is doing in you, so that He can do something through you, and He is equipping you right now for the work that He's planned for you to do. I, I think that's uh, um, if, if everybody would believe verse sixteen, um, we would no longer go to anybody else for counsel. We would simply say, "Okay, what does the Bible say?" So, Jimmy, God bless you for that, man. I appreciate it. And I um, I ask that uh, I'll be praying for you tomorrow, and I pray that you have a great Thanksgiving with your family as well. Thanks, Jimmy. Thank you. 340-9585. Uh-huh. Leo says, Pastor, what does it mean to apply the blood of Jesus during difficult times? Um, Leo, we apply the blood of Jesus through everything. Um, there are people, and again, these are typically hyper-charismatic churches, that uh, they'll see a, a somebody, uh, they'll apply the blood of Jesus to somebody who's uh, uh, confronting them or somebody who is causing them difficulty or uh, it's a financial situation. Apply the blood of Jesus. We don't have to apply the blood of Jesus. It's already been poured out all over us. Come, let us reason together, Isaiah says, Actually, Jesus says it through Isaiah. Though your sins are as scarlet, they can be as white as snow. That's what the blood of Jesus has done. But too often we'll have hear these things like, "Oh, I'm pleading the blood on this on this business deal. I'm pleading the blood on on uh, this problem I've got." You don't have to do that. The blood has already been applied. All we have to do is walk with Jesus through the difficult times. And Leo, let me also say this. This is really important for people not to forget. The difficult times, many of them are constructed by God himself. On Sunday, uh, I'm teaching out of Mark chapter 1. We just started the book last week. And um, uh, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, given the Holy Spirit without measure. You and I, we've been given the Holy Spirit, but it's measured. 
Jesus is instantly led from the waters of baptism into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, 40 days without food or water, and then the devil comes to him. And too often we think, well, well, if we're with Jesus, if we apply the blood, we won't have difficult times. That was constructed by God himself. Jesus did what he was told to do. And that was a necessary test. In the same way, Leo, we have these tests of life. And applying the blood of Jesus during those difficult times has absolutely no value because that blood has already been applied to our sin. That blood, because of that blood, we have access to heaven. We've got the fullness of the Holy Spirit living in us. So what we have to do during difficult times is simply walk with Jesus through them. And in the process, we'll become more and more like him with every single trial, every single day. And that's what we need to remember. But to plead the blood or to apply the blood of Jesus is just sort of um, charismatic gobbledygook. And I am a charismatic. I do believe the gifts of the Spirit are for today. But that's just Christianese for people who really don't understand what God has done. Read your Bibles. By faith, believe every word. And then apply by faith the word in your life. But we don't have to apply, nor do we have to plead the blood of Jesus, because it has been given to us more than generously already and enables us, Hebrews says, to approach the throne of God with confidence. The King James uses the word boldness, where we can receive grace and mercy in our time of need. That's what the blood has already done for everyone. Thank you. Here's a question from Zachary. He says, a friend of mine is living with his girlfriend claiming to be a Christian. He told me that marriage has changed and he and his girlfriend are okay with God. How should I think about this? Zachary, how you, you think about it, did you think about he's lying to you? Uh, he knows it's wrong and he's probably not a Christian. Period. Uh, he is distorting the word of God. So that's what you think about it. Now, what you should do about it is just tell him, show him Galatians chapter 5, First uh, Corinthians chapter 6, where it says very clearly that people living like he's living will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then say, okay, how do you respond to that? Well, we're okay with God. Just say, you think you're okay with God, but you're not. And you think you're okay with God because you want to think you're okay with God. I love you. I want you in heaven. You need to get saved. And that's what we need to tell them, Zachary. And they're probably going to lose a friend, but that's okay. That's when you stand for Jesus. So remember, what people think, what their opinions are, the way they rationalize sin, is not on you. That's between them and the Lord. Your responsibility is to show them the truth and give them the opportunity to make choices. And this is something that we run into all the time now. Uh, I want to sin, so I'm going to pretend that God's okay with it. That's somebody, Zachary, who doesn't know God. If we say we know Jesus, this is the Apostle John, and walk in the darkness, he says we're liars and the truth isn't in us. And then, of course, keep praying for your friend. But... The fact that people say they're Christians doesn't make it so. Thank you, Zachary. Here is a question from Greg. I haven't had a question about this for a long time. Uh, Pastor Ron, do you think CRT, critical race theory, should be taught in schools, church, and Christian schools? I was told I'm a racist if I don't agree. Um, Greg, um, you're right. Whoever told you that is wrong. Uh, They're drinking the Kool-Aid of the world that we live in. Here's what Christians, real Christians, are supposed to, to, to think about in terms of race. There are saved people and unsaved people. Those are the only races God recognizes. Period. And it doesn't matter whether you're black or white or, or Hispanic. It doesn't matter whether you're Asian the only question that matters is, do you know Jesus? Now, this idea that that um, the world is inherently racist, in particular our nation and our nation's history is inherently racist, 
uh, is an accusation that says basically all white people because of white privilege are racists and that is offensive. It's a lie. That comes straight from the devil. The devil is the accuser of the brethren and uh, too many people are are, are drinking the Kool-Aid. So, so um, just say, show me the Bible that says that we ought to think of people in terms of race. You can also ask someone, especially if it's somebody that you're fairly close to, you can say, what in my life would ever give you the impression that I'm a racist? You know, Greg, I've actually been sued for um, um, firing a guy uh, back in before, even before Christ, firing a guy um, because he was black. Uh, I was I was a racist. Um, as soon as he found out that I had been married for a very long time to a black woman, he dropped his lawsuit because that wasn't going to fly. Why would anybody ever say you're a racist? And I would tell somebody, look, if I've ever given you the impression that I'm a racist, then forgive me. But tell me what it is so I can fix it. But no, this this fixation we have with race is racist itself. And what we need to do is understand that that uh, we preach Jesus Christ crucified. And we want everybody, regardless of their ethnicity, we want them in heaven. Okay, we're about out of time. Tonight I'm going to be teaching Daniel chapter 11, the end of chapter 11, and just the beginning of chapter 12. Next two days, we're going to be doing a rebroadcast of our show. On Friday night, we are going to be having church here at Calvary Chapel. I'm not going to be teaching out of Revelation. We'll take a, a one-week break and teaching a special Thanksgiving message. So go to church. And then, Lord willing, we'll be back live on AM 630 The Word on Monday. Have a wonderful, wonderful Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving from Calvary Chapel. We love you. God bless you. We'll see you in a few days. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.